Welcome to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Laura Scappatigi, your host. In this episode with Mary Stewart Adams, star lore historian, she talks about the great conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter that's happening on Monday, December 21st, 2020. It's been quite a year, and Mary gives us some great personal practices to do to engage with the stars and with this big transition that's happening from 2020 to 2021. Even if you're tuning in after the great conjunction of 2020, listen all the way through for some great tips on how to connect with the natural world and with the stars in particular. If you like this podcast and you'd like to find out more about Anthroposophy or take your study deeper, go to anthroposophy.org to check out our library of webinars and resources and ways that you can connect. See you in 2021. Hey, Mary. So nice to see you. It's a December day in 2020, and I'm really glad we're going to get to talk because I know um, you've been on this show before, and I remember, I think... I think one of the most recent times I recorded with you, you were like driving through a blizzard or something. There was like all kinds of <laughs> I do in, in the northern country. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, there is snow out my window, and I'm really happy about that. I love oh, to have snow. Makes it so nice and bright, and you yeah. know we we do need that light right now in in this time of year and in this year in particular. And so, uh, because you are a star lore historian, which is the most interesting. Um, title I've ever heard in my life, honestly. <laughs> um, I, I'm really glad that you're going to talk to us about some of the star stuff that's happening right now in the world. And um, I will say we're in the midst of a pandemic if people will be tuning in at different times. Um, so I cannot guarantee there won't be children yelling and dogs barking and people coming in while we're doing this podcast. So there might be some of that in the background, but I think everybody's used to that by now. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, we're all working it, working it from home as best we can. We sure are. So um, I think one of the big things we wanted to talk about right away is this, the great conjunction. Uh, I've probably been saying that wrong, but can you, and there was a solar eclipse yesterday that was invisible to us in the U.S. Um, And I, you know, your words that you said uh, in, in a group we were in, you talked about unbridled will. And so that was with me all day long yesterday. I was thinking about what, what that means um, and how that relates to the solar eclipse. But there's so much to say. So I think, you know, why don't you just start wherever we are? This is a great point in the year to be contemplating what's happened and what's coming from this yeah. star picture. So thank you, star lore historian. Let's yeah, go all right. Well, that's a pretty big, uh, you've given me a pretty big opening. But I think what I would start with is that it's difficult sometimes to know the moment in history that you're in while it's happening. But I think that we can all agree that there's just this sense that that we're in a very significant time. And at this moment in history, there are these accent marks that are not only happening in our social fabric, but also these celestial gestures. So the last moon of the year 2020 caused a total solar eclipse. And you could say that this is um, the Christmas moon because we won't have another new moon again until after the new year. It's also a moon that aligns with the rhythm of the celebration of Hanukkah. Um, It's also a moon that aligns with the rhythm of the Native American tradition of the tribes that live in the Northern Great Lakes region where I am that they use for determining when the new year will happen. So it's a pretty strong 
strong moon in the cycle of the year, but then the fact that it caused a total solar eclipse that just ramps it up. And we seem like we have these kinds of things going on in 2020. Um, but the reference that I had made to these unbridled will forces, that comes directly from Rudolf Steiner. And he gave uh, a lecture called Human Questions, Cosmic Answers. And there he describes uh, eclipses and the true nature of eclipses. So the difference between a lunar eclipse when the moon is moving through the shadow of the earth and a solar eclipse when the moon is blocking the sun from our view. And he puts it in the context of what is normally streaming between earth and sun on the sun's rays. And that the things that we do, the actions that we take in the world, you could imagine they're woven through with sunlight. But when there's an eclipse, then the sunlight isn't there to weave itself through our willed activities. And so unbridled things can be released. And it's not just that they go into earth environment and wreak havoc. It's that they're actually released into the celestial environment. And so, because this is, if we think spatially, it's so large, the consequence of these unbridled will forces is kind of diluted. So it's a gift, you could say. It's like a release on a, safe, on a steam engine, the safety valve that you release to let the steam off. And so that's really good. I mean, you could look at 2020 and say, yeah, we kind of really need to let some steam off. So it's a bit of a gift, but then also those things do come back around in their own rhythm. Um, ideally, we'll be stronger and wiser and more capable of dealing with them when they do. So that's just, that's the eclipse. So that's the the Christmas moon, the final moon of 2020, that's what was going on with that. And now that moon is right now um, waxing through its crescent phase and it's going to pass by Saturn and Jupiter Thursday, well, Wednesday and Thursday of this week. And then just a few days later, Saturn and Jupiter are going to connect. So we've got this coming, this exact coming together of sun and moon, so much so that there's an eclipse and then this exact coming together of Saturn and Jupiter, like they're closest coming together since um, the 1600s at least. Now they come together every 20 years, but this is their closest approach in the last 400 years. So when things come together, you can imagine it's like this sensation almost of being compressed. And I think that's mm. part of the mood of what we're feeling. We're being compressed, except that there isn't a, uh, that which is being compressed. It's kind of, kind of like being squeezed into another form. Like it's heightening also at the same time. And and that, I think, is the mood of what this eclipse, or excuse me, not the eclipse, but what the Great Conjunction is about. Like Saturn is holding something, and then Jupiter is trying to expand in that compression. So Yeah, you, I, you know, you're doing a lot with your hands right now. I wish everybody <laughs> could see you because it's almost like when you have a ball of clay and yeah. you push on it and it's like the top goes up like through the top of your hand and the, you know, and then, and then it's like a different shape. So yeah. Um, yeah, that compression, I think everybody's really felt that compression this year for sure. Yeah. But I simultaneously, the, the other word I can think of, cause it's not just a resistance, it's like a heightening or an extending, yeah. but then another metaphor that I think is oftentimes used, but I think really fits for this, is to think about what's happening in with a caterpillar once it has spun a chrysalis around itself and it kind of becomes like a soup within that and then out comes a butterfly. So it's there's something being compressed into that and actually 
Rudolf Steiner describes this so beautifully in a lecture he gave about butterflies. And he starts by asking the, the people that he's speaking to, like, did anybody have any ideas or any questions? And, and it's like, they don't. And so he says, okay, well then I'm going to tell you about the butterfly. And then goes into this just beautiful, beautiful lecture. And in describing this process with the caterpillar when it's in the chrysalis state, he's describing it as though it's compressed light. And that this com compressing of the light, then when it emerges as the butterfly, like compressed light becomes color. And so to have that in the background of thinking about feeling compressed in this season, in this time, and then also what is trying to emerge. And if it's possible to imagine that there will be this kind of moment of magical quickening when the compression turns into the next thing and now we realize we have wings. And I think that that's what this great conjunction is because it's not just something is going to happen in an isolated way on winter solstice when they come together. We've been moving toward it. So I'm you know, squeezing something together and then a turn happens and it's almost imperceptible. But then later we can look back and say, yeah, that is when that took place. Because I think we've all been suspended in this feeling of like, when is this going to turn? When are we going to get ahead of it? When is it going to become a new narrative? When can that happen? And I really feel very strongly that with this final new moon of the year, and it caused an eclipse that released some things, and then this coming together of Saturn and Jupiter, that this, this moment is upon us where we can start to feel like we can turn. There will be I think I would say there will be new forces because we have we planted seeds. We're, we're nine months away from when the lockdown started to happen in the United States. That began in March of 2020, and that could be considered like the conception time. Now, nine months later, we're kind of birthing into an awareness. We have consciousness now about what this is, and now we start to build our way out of it. And I think that that's really what's coming. And also that it's it's just after the solstice moment. So we've got the eclipse, then we've got the conjunction, but we also have solstice happening in there. And this year I've been imagining that solstice is not just the standing still of the sun and it's not just the in breath of the earth, but it's these two things in relationship to one another as though the sun pauses while the earth completes its in breath. They're in relationship with each other. And the sun is as though standing still to say, I'm going to wait for you to complete that. And then we're going to go forward. And so I see all of this standing behind these gestures of the planets. So sun and moon come exactly together. Saturn and Jupiter come exactly together. Sun and earth have this moment where the sun pauses and the earth all the way inhales. And so it's gathering everything up. And now we're going to degree by degree by degree begin to, to move on from this moment in history. Mm, wow, yeah. that's an incredible, yeah. an incredible picture. I, I mean, you can feel it when you're talking about it. Um, and, you know, of course, not just about the pandemic. I think, I think we're going to look back at our lives and what was happening, you know, personally maybe not even as connected to the pandemic or 
in the sphere of rights for for human beings and and look back at these moments and think about that and then look back at of course the pandemic too and and see I, I like this picture of like it's it's a turn it's I don't know what, what what way to explain it, but yeah, I mean, it definitely happens in that chrysalis, which is such a great. Yeah, I and I think it it also works because when we look at you know the the demonstrations around rights that isn't just related. I mean, yes, that was plugged into how the pandemic relief and all those things were going on as well, but that there has been a ne the necessity of kind of cocooning, like, okay, we see the things that we have to deal with. Now we've got to weave it together with this light and, and bring it in, pull it all the way in so that we can come forward with an answer to these issues. And I feel like I want to believe that the solar eclipse was like a gift to okay, let off the stuff that you don't need for where you're going. We're going forward and there's some things that we don't need. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I didn't know there was an eclipse or you feel like you missed it, it, it doesn't work quite that way. And you could say it's for the space of time for this entire lunar cycle, which is one month. So it takes us from December 14th until the next new moon in January. But it's also broader than that. It's this period of time, like even with the Saturn and Jupiter conjunction, it's not just this one day. It's a much broader period of time. And I feel that we, we can really take this now with the solstice and then just three days later, we come to Christmas and we enter into this season of the Holy Nights where traditionally there is this practice of honoring the Holy Nights, but that tradition is rooted in the reality that there's a deeper and more intimate relationship with the stars in this season. At least in the Northern Hemisphere, we have greater darkness. And so the stars are much more prevalent. We're of course not looking toward the most populated region of stars because we're looking away from the center of the Milky Way galaxy at this time of year. So there seems to be to us greater darkness. And that can augment this idea that, oh, human being, it's up to you to bring the light, to be the light and to not only be the light, but to bring the color. And so how do we imagine color in relationship to dark and night and starlight even? We don't necessarily see it. So this really has to come out of us from within ourselves. And in the one of the first steps in developing awareness through an anthroposophical path is described as developing imaginative cognition. And this isn't just, oh, I'm going to go around and create make-believe. It's that I have to use a type of thinking for the unseen world that's different than the intellectual thinking I use for the world I can see. And at this time of year, when the sun is as far below the celestial equator as it can get, and I have greater darkness, now the imagination can really begin to develop. I can test it. I can practice. I can take the 12 days and 13 nights of the Christmas tide and say, okay, I'm going to day by day, try to think in color, not even try to describe moods or objects and put them in color, but just really, what is it if I just am red today? You know, or what if I'm blue? And it might seem really odd, but as kind of a a meditative practice. Like this is something we can begin to do. And what happens in that is we realize that there is a living quality in the color that seeks us. 
just as when we strive to understand the stars, we find out that they also seek to know us. I mean, it's just beyond us waiting for us to say, hey, let's meet. And we meet in color. We meet in imagination. We meet in dream first. That's where we touch it. And then we can start to be awake that those are real processes that can inform our experience. And so as those as kind of first steps from this moment in history, it's like, let's, let's build in color. Let's, let's bring this kind of imaginative quality. Um, so I think that that's really important. And then paying attention to our, our thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting, these steps. So we, I had, did a podcast episode with Laura um, Summer and mm-hmm. uh, Matt Sawaya about yeah. color. Or, it was yeah. called, I think, A World Without Art. And we talked about these practices with color. Yeah. So it's interesting it's coming up here again. I mean, and I'm thinking of people that are kind of early in this path, and I would still consider myself one of those people for sure. I imagine last night, actually, I went outside and I try to go outside every single night and look at the stars before yeah. I go to bed. And oh my gosh, it was so bright. Like they were like sparkling. Like I, I mean, it, it was incredible. Like the way that they were just shining so brightly. And now I'm thinking like, yeah, I, of course, like I feel like there's color around the stars in some way, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about color. It was dark and there, were the, there was the light of, of the stars. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm thinking for people that are kind of like early on this path, you know, there's, you're pointing to personal practices, which I think are so important right now. Mm-hmm. And through those personal practices, we are able to develop this relationship with the natural world, which is a relationship with the spiritual yes. world. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. you can go further and further with that. So this color piece is, is you know, developing a relationship, it sounds like, with, with color yeah, or a, con- a, a contemplation even of it or, or something. I don't know. Can you say a little bit more about it? I will, because I think it, it can kind of be an elusive concept. What do you mean, think in color? But what I experience, I'll put it this way. Um, in ancient Egyptian culture, they had the story of the sky goddess Nut. And she, arc, her body arced over the earth and in the... Um, when you see the images that the Egyptians created of this, she had the stars in her body. So she swallowed the sun at the end of every day and then it would move through her body and radiate toward the earth throughout the night and then every morning she would give birth. And so an experience of the stars was actually an experience of the body of this divine feminine. And it was a body that was draped in beautiful color like an aura of a shining rainbow And at least as far as we can tell from what we get from Egyptian culture, it wasn't just that it was, we see the white light of a star, but that there's just this aura of shining color in this being. And then by the time we get to the ancient Greek culture, now when they depict what we we could imagine as their divine feminine related to maybe Virgo, Demeter, this is a constellation in the sky that um, the sun moves through in the harvest season, but she's laying down. And so it's like she starts to go to sleep. And then also they tell a story, the Greeks, ancient Greeks about Atlas. Now he's the one that's holding up the heavens. So the the Egyptians had this divine feminine holding the star knowledge and holding the stars literally in her body. 
And then the Greeks start to show this being laying down, but now it's Atlas, he's a hero. I don't know, he's a giant that is, um, he's one of the Titans holding the, uh, the pillars of the heavens. And then when we get to the time of the beginning of the scientific revolution, so now we're in the post-Christian era. So we've gone ancient Egypt, we go to ancient Greece. Then we have the beginning of the Christian era with the incarnation of the Christ. And then we get about 14, 1500 years into that. And now Nicholas Copernicus introduces this idea that the earth is moving around the sun like the other planets. And Rudolf Steiner points to this as a very critical moment in world destiny. And that what's so critical about it is not so much that he introduced this idea that the earth was in motion, it's the way he did it. The way this thought was introduced was kind of devoid of spiritual content. And so this Rudolf Steiner refers to as kind of the slaying of this divine feminine being that had embodied the stars and all of its, its aura of shining colors. And now we get Newton comes after Copernicus and his theory of gravitational force. And also he uses a prism to separate the colors and, and, and everything gets all blurred about the color that we can experience in the natural world. It gets blurred into just white light. We just see the stars emitting a white light. We'll talk about them as a red giant or a blue white star. And usually that's a classification that has to do with the age of the star or the type of the star. And sometimes with, with the color that it will emit, but there's no sense that this represents a living sp spiritual being, right? So trying to awaken an awareness of the color is like awakening an awareness of this being of the divine feminine. And so, the first steps can sometimes be hard because we don't see it. And then recognizing that, oh, I, I, I can see a rainbow. I can see the rainbow when the sun, you know, after a rainstorm and the sun is shining through, I can sometimes see a rainbow. But now how do I imagine that I am also an expression of color? I have an inner radiance. What does that look like? Just to begin to imagine that. I think it's easy with a mood too. Like moods can be described in color very easily. Yeah. Okay. So that that gives me more of a of a sense of like that inner radiance picture. So so for the on Christmas Day, I think let's say the color is blue, right? Yeah. So then you're you're carrying that. So if we're going to talk about going through the holy nights, which some people might not quite know what that is, um, mm -hmm. and it's a quiet contemplative time that happens over um, yeah. the days between Christmas. Yeah, this bridge across the division of time that is you could imagine the body of Nut. I mean, she's arcing over right. the earth like we're moving through the star body of this being at this time. Right. Say either constellation by constellation if you want which gives you 12 or you could say okay each constellation has a color so you go color by color by color through this time to bridge this last year to the next it's mm -hmm. a beautiful thought to bridge mm -hmm. it with color that is related to the stars yeah so yeah so blue the indigo you can go the first seven days it's all the colors of the rainbow so and then the remaining five days it's you have to really work at it to imagine that color, but now woven through with like earth substance and the inner nature of the human being. So it doesn't radiate the same way as the rainbow does because it's our own inner light. What, what does that look like? What, what is it? How does it express itself? And you don't really, um, 
I mean, you don't have to be clairvoyant to, to try to work at this and to sense this. Um, but there was this really beautiful description from Eleanor Mary about the ancient Egyptian um, initiation of Osiris and that he would, the, the initiate would be taken off the earth. Like they have this experience of looking back toward the earth from beyond earth sphere. And they would see it wrapped in an aura of shining color, like a rainbow wrapped around it. Hmm. So just to have those thoughts, I think that's a really important thing to become familiar with the mythologies and to say, you know, they, 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 they saw this. We don't see it anymore. Doesn't mean it's not there. It's just that we no longer think that way about our environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like what you're saying about thinking because I, I think in a practice like this, just to even be contemplating any of this, even for a few moments or five minutes, is, is different than what you would do in everyday life where you're just going along and, and doing your things. So I, I think just to bring that kind of attention and the stories, of course, really you know, star, star Lord, right? That's, that's, that <laughs> stories really enrich it and bring it to life. So now I have a new picture of this goddess um, with the rainbow and nuts is her name, right? I don't know how yes, to spell that. Egyptian culture, N-U-T. N-U-T, right? And, and now I can like look her up and get a little more interested, but I can carry that picture with me as a story um, and take that into my, that'll help me with my contemplation. Cause I'll remember, cause I have this picture of her now and that yeah. time when, I mean, another thing you could do, that's much easier. You could yes. just say, yeah, I'm going to go out and look at the sky and I'm going to pick a star. In fact, I have family friends up here that every year on Christmas Eve, they go out and the first star they see that's their Christmas star. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be the same star every year after year. But what, um, what I imagine is you could go out and pick a star and then ask yourself, okay, why did I pick that one? Was it convenient because it was the one in the direction that I could look or did it twinkle at me? Like, what is it that happened that drew my attention to that star? Then the next step would be, now I wanna find out what star that is. And how do I do that? Do I look on my star app on my phone? Do I... Google up a star map like that, all of this begins to develop the relationship I will have with that star. And so if it's a star that's named, I mean, eventually I'm going to learn its name. This starts to build a relationship that what we want to do is pay attention to now, how am I going to really get into more intimate engagement with this star? And then I learn it, I can learn its name, I can find out what constellation it belongs to, and then I can find out the stories of <clears throat> that region of the sky, not only in the ancient Greek culture, but maybe there's something from Native American culture, maybe there's something from Aboriginal culture in Australia. I mean, just really give yourself the time. I mean, this can take months, if not years, to really just be building a relationship, but think about it as a friendship. You, know, you meet someone, you get along really well, and then you start to learn about each other. You learn what the history of one another's names are and what your ancestry, you know, you've got siblings and, and you know, where you grew up and all of the things that informed what this is that I met. And I, it might sound strange to do that with a star, but it really is about developing a relationship to something. So just pick one star and then if it doesn't pan out that it's okay to say, I'm gonna pick another star. Or you could say, you know, maybe I wanna do three stars at one time, but always with this question, 
why did I choose that? Because that's part of it. I am very subjectively involved. And what interest, what draws my interest tells me something about myself. And then it can also start to tell me about that thing that I have an interest in. So I, I like this as a, as a way to learn around your way around the sky because those are lessons that you don't forget. You know, so it's not just memorizing constellations. It's like, I'm going to build a relationship to something that speaks to me. I like the starry crown because I like crowns, you know, and I like the story of the gemstone and the crown. And I like it that I learned that the name of that star has changed through time. It used to be called Alfeca. And I try to think about like words that might emerge from that and who changed it to Gemma and what's all the stuff that goes with that. Um, and, you know, Corona Borealis is a much nicer thing to think about right now. <laughs> a starry crown, the starry crown of the North. Um, and along the way, you bump into a lot of really delightful things because the stars have inspired some of the most incredible art and architecture and language and, and literature and poetry. And so I just, you just make a beginning. I like that star right there. Now I start to figure out what star is it? This I'm building my stairway to that star. And then there are a countless number of stars. We can see between five and 7,000 stars in the night sky, just with our naked eye. You don't even need a telescope. I really love this idea. It's so good. I was sort of imagining my family all like kind of coming out on the, on the porch and we're like, okay, that's our Christmas star. And then we're going to yeah. just work with that star every night. Yeah. It'd be so... Nice I mean, you might find that. out that it's a planet, you know, you might, yeah. might think you just say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start. And then one of the, um, one of my favorite resources for doing this kind of thing that isn't, you have to have a map, you have to have something that you can look at so you can figure out what direction was I looking and what time of year, what time of night so that you know what you're looking at. But then to get the stories connected to the names of the stars, there's a book called Star Lore their names and meaning by Richard Hinckley Allen. And this book was published in 1899 and it's by Yale University Press. The only frustrating thing about it to me is that in 1899, if you had a book like this, you probably were well-schooled in Latin. So none of the Latin is translated. <laughs> I never got Latin, but it doesn't det detract from being able to use the book. And what he does is he goes constellation by constellation in alphabetical order lists all the names of the stars and then as much research as he could do in the 1890s to figure out what the star name meant in all the cultures of the world. And there's so much in it. It's, it's not a book you sit down and read from front to back. It's a, it's a reference, you know, it's a resource, but just like we should, I believe, all have copious volumes of fairy tales on our bookshelves. We should also always have a book that has the list of the names of the stars. These things just go hand in hand and they, they light up in our lives. Um, and I think, yeah, when we, when we seek to know that some magic starts to happen, these magical moments start to show up. The stars start speaking. Absolutely. That's really great. I'm going to have to go see if our little bookstore on our main street has that, that, <laughs> that book for sure. Um, so, okay. So let's go back to the great conjunction a minute. Um, 
Saturn, Jupiter, isn't yeah. it like something about Aquarius happening too? And we're moving so there's two ways something? to look at that. <laughs> so it's, um, in the tropical zodiac, which really belongs to kind of our, I'll call it our ordinary ego, right? Like we wake up, we live from the morning through our day to night, we go to bed. So this is a linear process with beginning, middle and end. And this is the stream of time we experience here. And this is connected to the tropical zodiac. And so the tropicals, in the tropical zodiac, Saturn and Jupiter are meeting at zero degrees of Aquarius. But then when you move beyond the sphere of the moon and you start dealing more esoterically with what would be referred to as the higher ego, now we're looking at things relative to the stars themselves. So not relative to our experience of time on the earth, um, but now relative to the stars, and this is called the sidereal, means in relationship to the stars. In the sidereal zodiac, Saturn and Jupiter are meeting in Capricorn. So they're in Capricorn, and when we, if we look in the sky, we'll see them near the constellation Capricorn. But if we look in it like in a horoscope or an astrology, we would say, oh, they're in Aquarius, in the sign of Aquarius. So it's kind of confusing these two different things. No, it's cool actually. I mean, I feel like a lot of us have like this everyday self and then we have like a sort of beyond the moon self. If you want to put it that way. You could call it your soul nature. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like I'm, I'm born with the sun in Aries, but in the soul spirit nature, I'm it's in Pisces. Totally right. different mood. And so to, you know, you want to, it's, I think it's okay to try to work with both, but it really requires, at least in me, it did. It required a lot of maturity to be able to move back and forth. I, I had to fix in one thing and figure that out before I could move to the other. And so um, Saturn and Jupiter are meeting and they are, if they're an Aquarius, that's an air sign. And one of the big things that's being talked about is that once the air sign conjunctions start to happen, they will happen only in air signs for like 200 years, right? So every 60, uh, excuse me, every 20 years, Saturn and Jupiter have a great conjunction. And every time they meet, they're two thirds of the way through the Zodiac. So they're meeting right now in Aquarius. Their next meeting is going to be in Gemini. Their next meeting will be in Libra. Then 60 years later, they'll be back in Aquarius. So it kind of creates this triangle. And that triangle is just in the air signs for about 200 years. Then it shifts. And then it will be in the water signs for about 200 years. Then it shifts. It'll be in the fire signs. Then it will shift. It'll be in the earth signs. And then after 800 years have lapsed, it's back in the air signs. So you could say that these eclipse, this conjunction right now is happening in a region of the sky where it hasn't happened for 800 years. So we go back 800 years and we're in the 1200s. Francis of Assisi is on the earth. Thomas Aquinas was born. Dante is born during a great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter in the 1200s. So this is where you get this idea that there's something stirring from the middle ages that hadn't stirred since then. Um, and also then you can look at the how close they're going to be to one another. They haven't been this close since I think 1643. At that time, Johannes Kepler was doing his work. The telescope had already been invented and Kepler looking at this 20 year cycle of the great conjunctions took it all the way back and was able to determine that for him, the Christmas star was actually a great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter that happened a few years before the birth of the Christ child. So he's looking at the wise men of the East 
as these men that know the sky. They are astrologers, which is a very high art. They can read the signs in the heavens. They see a great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, and they know that this indicates that something new is coming. Some turn is taking place, Saturn representing the past because it, it's moving very slowly. It marks the boundary of time. Jupiter giving an indication of something that wants to grow toward the future, seems connected to space, things connected with Jupiter. Jupiter moves in a rhythm of 12 years around the sun. So we get this magic number 12, where we have 12 constellations and 12 solar months. And so Jupiter is defining space where Saturn is defining time and time and space come together at a great conjunction. And it's like a door opens and we get to step through into a new time and space. Oh, that is super. Now I, now I understand a little bit more about Jupiter and Saturn and then these two, these two pictures. What a special yeah. time. I'm so glad I'm with you at this well, time. <laughs> I, mean, I would also say just if, I mean, one of the ways to engage with it then, it's like, well, what do I do? You know, what if the yeah. sky is cloudy and I can't see it, which may very well happen for me in Northern Michigan. Yeah. So what I'm looking at is, okay, it's solstice. So what time does the solstice happen? In my time zone, so Eastern time zone, it's happening at 5.02 a.m. And then the sun is going to rise around eight. Saturn and Jupiter will conjunct at 1.20 p.m. in the afternoon. So during the daytime, so we won't see it the exact moment. And then the sun is going to set for me in Northern Michigan around five o'clock. And then the planets will set around 7.20. So that's five points where I've got solstice, sunrise, conjunction, sunset, planet set. And I could do something at each moment, something that comes in five. Five is a really interesting rhythm. You know, you could draw Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man that shows the five points of the human form with the head and the two arms and the two feet, um, the five panels of the foundation stone meditation. Um, these are things that sound out in this rhythm of five, and you could just just do something at each of those moments in that time, whether you're seeing it or not, but to really try to engage with it, because it's like we're creating a place so that whatever it is that's sounding out has somewhere to land in our own lives. And if we don't do anything, there's no place for it to, to land. It's a, like a little vessel for it. So yeah. we're saying we're saying we see you and here's a place you can come into. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's like tilling the ground when you're going to plant seeds for a garden, or it's almost like study in uh, academics. I mean, you, you study not just to cram in things that you can memorize, but so that when you're asked, it can rise up. You've created a place for the knowledge to land. Mm -hmm. And so this is the same thing, doing this kind of ceremony that says, all right, there's celestial phenomena happening, and I'm going to do something that sounds with each moment of that, knowing that I don't really know if this is going to to have consequence, but I can try. I can try something. I could say a prayer. I could light a candle. I could think of loved ones. I could offer an intention. You know, things that I could do that that say to me, I'm trying to engage with this moment. And 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 to my guardian angel, help to guide me through this because I seek to learn. We no longer know how to speak to the stars, but I want to do it. So I begin with what I know and what I know is, oh, it's solstice and it's conjunction. And, you know, but then you can really get into it. Like, how do I know that it's solstice? 
right? Like who told me? Am I watching the environment so closely that I can tell that that moment is upon us? And so for that, it's to the extent that it's like the breathing process, I'm having the solstice every time I breathe. I breathe out, there's a pause, summer solstice. I breathe in, pause, that's winter solstice. So just in the breathing, an awareness of my breathing and thinking about those pauses and then intentionally pausing and letting something rest in that moment and then trying to, this would take a while, but to really live with that as a practice in relationship to the cycle of the year. It's the, it's the earth, it's breathing in its environment. We breathe, I mean, we breathe, we breathe the exact same number of times. I mean, maybe not exactly, on average, we breathe 18 times a minute. We, there are 24, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day. We breathe 25,920 times in one 24 hour cycle. The earth is wobbling on its axis while it's rotating and orbiting the sun. And it takes it 25,920 years to complete that wobble. So we're living microcosmically in this rhythm. That's so beautiful. So we can take the breath to say, I'm going to do solstice research, just right here in my own body. And then I'm gonna look at the sky and I'm going to find my way to a star. These are just little, Practices that I can do that don't require a lot. I mean, I'm going to have to get some resources to answer some of my questions, but that's the, that's the journey. I feel like I am much more prepared now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I have ideas of what to do. And I know a lot of people are going to want to go further, Mary. So how can they find you as part uh -huh. of their steps in their research? Can you? I know there's different ways now for people to reach you. So can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, so I have a website, storytellersnightsky.com. And every week I do a radio program uh, for my Northern Michigan public radio station. And that's also called the Storytellers Night Sky. And then I load that up onto my podcast site so you can listen to it as a podcast wherever you get podcasts. So it's on Spotify and it's on Apple Play and all those places. So it's all Storytellers Night Sky. You can also find me under that name on Facebook and on Instagram, I think I'm Star Mares. So Star and then my name with an S on the end. And then on Twitter, it's Stars and Stories. I'm not on Twitter that much, but there are ways to find me. I know that if you Google my name, I show up. Okay, that's great. Mary Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Uh, yes, as my grandmother said before she got Frenchified. <laughs> before she got yeah, Frenchified. I should say it that way. She, her mother was French, Mary of Guise. And when Mary Stewart was born, she was a queen when she was only a week old. And so the English were, you know, trying to capture her and Mary sent her to France to protect her. And so when she got to France, the pronunciation of her name with the W at the center would have been Stuvart. So in order to sustain the pronunciation, she changed the spelling of her name to S-T-U-A-R-T to keep it as Stuart. Right, so. but yours has the W. Mine has the W, so that's, that's what it. my grandmother said. So before Mary Stuart went to France, that's the spelling. 
Oh, before Mary Stewart went to France. That's great. Well, there's more stories from Mary Stewart Adams. So thank you everybody right. so much for listening. Mary, thank you. I've, I really, again, I feel, I feel ready now in a different way. So, and I, I think okay, good. Have- I'm glad because it's a lot, it's a lot to take in and it can be overwhelming. And the main thing is to not get overwhelmed and to just breathe with it, you know? Yeah. 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 And just take a step. That's it. Take a step That's in color. That's right. That's right. Choose a color, choose a star, take a breath, and then step into it. Beautiful. Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode.